0: Welcome to this Practical Neurology podcast, which is part of our feature looking at the intersection between neurology and crime writing. I'm Harriet Vickers, Assistant Multimedia Editor at the BMJ, and today I'll we'll be hearing about Harold Clowens. Professor Clowens was an expert in Parkinson's disease and other movement disorders at Rush Medical Center in Chicago, where he founded their movement disorder clinic. He was president of the United Parkinson Foundation, a pioneer in the use of L-DOPA and the author of more than 400 medical articles. And alongside this, he also managed to write 12 fiction and non-fiction books. Professor Clowens died in 1998, but his close friend and colleague at Rush, Professor Christopher Gertz, has agreed to share his memories of him with us. So good morning, Christopher. Thanks very much for coming on.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: So tell me a bit about um, your relationship with Professor Clowens. What was he like to work with?
1: Well, I came to medical school in the 1970s, and Harold was a luminary at the uh, medical college, and he lectured to us on Parkinson's disease and neuropharmacology, and I was attracted to uh, understand more of the biochemistry of behavior. So I approached him and asked if I could come and perhaps see his laboratory, and uh, Harold was a very generous man and surrounded himself with lots of students and assistants he and I had a special relationship uh, the, the, many students came and went but I stuck with them because um, I realized that we were a very interesting match he was a large and loud person had lots of ideas but his limitation was that there were so many ideas he couldn't quite get all of them into practical experiments or articles and that's where I came in because I was very rigorously disciplined and I could take over. I was too young to have my own ideas but I had the rigor to get them down on paper and to work through the experimental protocols and to give the injections to the animals, get the data, and then come back to Harold, where we could interpret them together. So it was a very nice relationship that was devoid of jealousy or competition because we were really two people who realized we were advantageous to each other and to ourselves and had very, very different talents.
0: Great. Sounds like you were a good double act. We were. We were. So... What was it about um, his personality and his way of working that made him a good researcher and a good clinician?
1: Well, he had an uncanny ability to see things that other people didn't see. And he was a very keen observer and could see something that perhaps I would have just walked by. I can remember a single instance where we were walking down the hall after making Hospital rounds, and he turned to me and said, "Did you did you see that?" And I said, "Well, well no. I, I we were talking." He says, "Don't ever say that to me again. Always have your eyes open because you just missed a movement disorder." And I thought, "Oh my God, this is going to be hard work." But he had that ability to have so many things on his plate. His limitation was that he had them all there. And so he would blurt them out, but he wouldn't necessarily be able to follow all of them up. And his loudness, which was, I think, offensive to some people, I had to learn to just hear amidst all that, that there were these little pearls that I needed to follow up on. And he was delighted at that once I got better at it. The first time I failed, that's uh, <laughs> for certain.
0: So did, he, did you think of him as, as being like a detective?
1: The detective work began with a a case when i was a resident and we made rounds and we were joking and talking about uh oh wouldn't it be interesting if the diagnosis were intoxication and and so we came back and he said oh i'm going to write this i said all right you write that i'm not going to get involved with that and and he started writing and he'd always been interested in in sherlock holmes and, and mysteries and and I wasn't—I didn't really have much of a background in that kind of literature, so he would tell me, and then I would read one or two. But that was uh, not really part of our, our our real relationship. But he did write this first novel that was completely based on our work at the hospital. I mean, that—that that is, I mean, the first draft was—you could tell everybody. I mean, it was completely transparent who the characters were. Uh, so. It did come out, and he looked upon himself increasingly with the kind of glee of being a a, a detective. But it, it wasn't. I don't recall that in my very early years. No, I think that grew with time.
0: Could you give us a pricey of that first novel?
1: Well, the first novel was Sins of Commission, and it was about a case of intoxication, and the actual case. Really was completely different, but it could have been in sort of the differential diagnosis, and it was very straightforward actually. But Harold thought, "Oh, wouldn't it be fun if we, you know, had it really be an intoxication case?" And I, you know, I could just see Harold being the hero of the day and coming up with a, a different diagnosis and everything. But the real case was quite straightforward, and it wasn't. That was the beauty of Harold. I could see the immediate diagnosis and know what to do. But he had the bigger-than-life vision of the possibilities. And that's really, you know, it's really quite lovely to a rigorous, sort of doggedly working guy with my background to see that kind of creativity. And um, and that he took. I mean, that's the the science I did. But he took this and wrote that novel. I didn't have anything to do with any of that creative writing
0: and as the um as he published more novels did he with those parallels between himself and the protagonist did they continue could you still see things that had happened in the the hospital or um elements of his personality slipping into the writing
1: oh absolutely i mean that every week we sat down and looked at videotapes of all the new patients seen in the movement disorder center over the last week. So the patients he had seen, the patients I had seen, we all met and we discussed the cases. And that was a kind of free flowing time where I could pick up lots of interesting little medical illuminations from Harold. But these were also, they prompted many of his observations and it was in such a trusting environment because all of us really did really care for Harold in the group and he would get ideas and sort of shout them out and some of them I would pluck if they were medical and the others were more all about sports or things musicals and things that I didn't know quite as much about but they would kind of grab him and I would remind him of them if I thought of one so that he would still have another project to do because he really liked doing that. There are a number of neurologists who tried to write literature and could never get in the door. And Harold did. I mean, and it was also, as I understand it, quite happenstance. I mean, he wrote the one about the botulism, <laughs> and we put it away. I mean, it was it was when I was a junior resident. He wrote this, and I said, Harold. I mean, it's just it's like Mark Twain with every, You can recognize every single person on the block. <laughs> can't you cannot do anything with this he says oh well and then he put it away because he was on another project which was typical of Harold and then I went off to France for my Fulbright and he flew over to Paris because uh, he wanted to have lunch and 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 we sat down in the restaurant and he says you know I sent the manuscript in I said "Well, Harold did you change it he said nope didn't change anything <laughs> I just sent it in I said well Harold I mean you we are going to have to change it because the people you're so critical of. And it's, he said, no, 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 no. We'll let the
0: editor do that.
1: Well, the editor did, thank goodness. And, uh, but it was, it was that kind of thing. And he got it published.
0: So what was it that worried you? Was he unflattering about people or about how medicine works?
1: Always, Harold, in his writings, was the star. And in the real hospital, he wasn't always the star. And so things got so expansionist. I mean, that's the, these, the, the cracking the codes and all these things that are in the books of the novels is bigger than life. And it was almost embarrassing to me to see somebody write himself already bigger because he was so big as it was. <laughs> but. The outside world liked it, and so I, I step back and admired somebody who can do it.
0: Did the inside world like it? Did he get himself into trouble?
1: Um. Well, he didn't get himself into trouble. I think that uh, some people in the world were surprised that he spent so much time with this, and there are only so many hours of the day, and he did less science as he did more literature. So I don't know whether that's trouble, but he did somewhat drop out of the scientific circle. The thing that is particular about this area of neurology, unlike most other areas, is that observation is the core of evaluating a movement disorder. That you have to have an eye that has an innate or highly trained skill to pick up something that other people don't see. So that's very much like Sherlock Holmes, very much like that that everybody else is in the room but only one person sees the little detail. And that's, that's what movement disorder physicians are trained to do. They see within the mass of movement, they see the core characteristic that cuts to the diagnosis. And that's a skill that Andrew Lees has. It was a skill that Harold was just remarkably good at. Just remarkably good at.
0: I guess one thing that that troubles me slightly between this parallel between uh, doctors and detective is is the the humanism and and the patient. Um, so you can get this idea that you know the neurologist turns up, um, observes the patient. Um, you know, it's very clever and solves the problem and then leaves. Whereas in urology, uh, even if you solve the puzzle, you can only manage rather than cure patients sometimes and, and they need lifelong support. Um, but it sounds as though Harold very much had that humanism as well.
1: I think what what's important to realize is that a novel has a beginning, a middle and an end. A chronic disease, and that's what Harold treated, goes on forever. But you can't make a novel out of that so you can take a segment of a person's condition and write about that and to build it into literature but harold was a faithful caring physician and they all his patients were long term we don't we don't deal with acute patients all patients with movement disorders are are really chronic and they were faithful to come back to Harold, and Harold was faithful in following them. The little vignette that was interesting might be in a short story, but the patient persisted. So I don't see a conflict there, but I see it just a presentation issue.
0: Sure. Do you think the emergence of these neurology writers, such as um, Harold and Oliver Sacks and, and Peter Gautier Smith, do you think they're very much a product of the state of neurology 50 years ago? I'm just wondering if you think if that was kind of an era that's that's been and gone. No,
1: I, I think that you're looking at an era. But in fact, there is a huge public interest in behavior and the way the brain works. This is a whole area of literature in the 19th century. Zola wrote about Charcot. Daudet was a personal friend of Charcot's. I mean, their literature and neurology are kind of embedded with one another, I think, because there is the public interest in behavior. So, see, I think that the skills of young neurologists may be different than the skills that Harold was able to teach me. And that now the way that experiments are conducted, while there's still a hypothesis, technology drives the hypothesis. Where before, observation drove the hypothesis. And the ability to see, and to see through the forest of all the different distractions, that was an important skill. Now the skills are to see through the limitations of technology and to mobilize them. But it's still detective work. It's still detective work, and it's still behavior. And so I think that there is a role for the modern neurologist who is interested in unveiling or sharing the science of behavior, that there's a a public out there very interested